on the Adoram Holomag, I'm Lana Slock, and you're listening to Beings of the Galaxy. There's an art to storytelling. It seems an easy task at first, just telling a story, but it's about more than reading words. It's about painting a picture, creating an environment, evoking emotion, all with how you use your words, how you tell the story. Two beings can tell the exact same story and yet have a completely different effect on the audience based on their talents as a storyteller. At university, I took a storytelling class. But this isn't what you're most likely picturing. It was less focused on crafting and creating stories through writing, but rather how one brings a story to life through spoken word, expressions, and presence. One of the students in the class... Tina was easily the best storyteller. The way she took the words and brought them to life was magical, a real gift. And I wanted to know more about where she learned to tell stories like that. So one day after class, I approached Tina. I praised her masterful storytelling talents, but rather than accept my compliments, Tina told me that the storytelling in class was nothing compared to the storytelling in The Little Wookiee. The Little Wookiee was an exclusive club just off campus that required a password and an invitation to grant membership. Tina's family had been longtime members of the club, and a few years back, Tina and a group of other members started a storytellers guild. Once a month, she and the other members performed original short stories they had written based on a predetermined prompt. And for this particular reading, they were sticking to the theme of the holiday, Midnight's Eve. Tina couldn't have known Midnight's Eve was and still is my favorite holiday. What can I say? I love costumes and I love sweet treats. There was no way I was going to miss this reading. And so, I happily and quickly agreed to meet Tina at the club that evening. Tina was waiting outside the Little Wookiee when I arrived. Its entrance was actually a barber shop. We entered the shop, walked past the barbers, and straight into the back room, where Tina tapped a panel and a door slid open, giving way to a supply closet. Not just any supply closet. A secret lift that took us down into the club itself. When the door slid open, I was transported into a new world. A dark and smoky world with its own way of life. The club is so exclusive, they take your devices at the door. Tina and I handed over our comlinks and data pads, then made our way to the bar for drinks. But Tina had to prepare for her performance, and so she left me alone to find a seat in the corner and observe my surroundings while I waited. Thankfully, I didn't wait too long, as the lights soon dimmed, even more than I thought possible. And a small Deveronian woman stepped onto the stage. It begins, she said, and it was so. Tina was the final storyteller of the group. She told the story of a prince who sold his soul for revenge. The story itself was not necessarily a scary one, but the way Tina told it, how she commanded the stage, 
how she made eye contact with every being in the room at the exact moment she supernaturally knew would be the most impactful to them. It was pure art. I knew she was good, had seen her do so in class, but here, on this stage, she was more powerful than anything I could have ever imagined. I hardly noticed her story had ended until the crowd erupted in applause, breaking my concentration. Tina smiled widely, then disappeared backstage. A few minutes passed, then Tina appeared at my side with a steaming cup of calf, and she sat down. What did you think? She asked me. A beat of silence passed as I tried to come up with the words to explain how incredible her performance was, how talented she was. But I didn't share any of those compliments. Instead, I blurted out the question I had been holding on to. Where did you learn to tell stories like that? Tina smiled, then dove headfirst into telling me about two sisters. Nay and Tad met, her mother and her aunt. They were the ones who told her fantastic stories, and they were the ones who taught her how to tell them. She was their legacy. Can you tell me one of their stories? I asked Tina eagerly. She scrunched her eyebrows, thinking, then looked up at me, a twinkle in her eye. How about they tell you for themselves? And tell me themselves they did. When later that night, back on campus, Tina sent me a data pad. I pressed play, and a holovid came to life of two sisters. They were young, late teens, and they were setting up camp in a dark forest. I could already tell I was in for a treat, and so I leaned back in my chair and let them tell me their stories. Is it set up? I think so. Shouldn't there be a recording light? Let me see it. No, I got it. Just give it to me. No, look. See, it is recording. I found the light. Look. See it? Oh, yeah. Perfect. So, how long has it been recording? I don't know, but I guess we can edit the beginning out. Sure. Okay. So, what now? Well, the legend says you can see the ghosts when the moons are in a straight line, so... Judging by their placement right now, we probably have 30-ish minutes? How's the fire coming? Almost ready. Just another moment, and boom! Finished. And now we wait. And now we wait. Hey, Nay. Yeah? You ever hear the story about the Bronca monster? The what? The Bronca monster. No? Good, I'll tell you. I thought we were just gonna... Sit in silence and enjoy the beautiful night sky before the ghost comes. That's boring. This is more fun. Once upon a time... Here we go. It's a good one, I promise. Once upon a time... On a small, uninhabited world, there lived a small colony of farmers. If you visited their world on a bright, sunny afternoon, nothing would seem amiss. Children would be playing, mothers singing songs, and fathers telling stories. They seemed like they were a happy people, who worked hard and were satisfied. But there was a dark cloud over this village, for it was surrounded by the night forest. 
and in the night forest lived the Bronca monster. On the last day of every week, the Bronca monster would enter the village, devouring every living thing it saw. But, for some reason, the Bronca monster could not enter their homes, and so, on the final day of every week, the villagers would go inside early, lock their doors, huddle close, and try to forget the ferocious beast who lumbered through their village. But forget they never could, because they could hear it growling as it passed, its claw scraping the sides of their hut, its feet tramping over the grass as it looked for prey to devour. The villagers lived like this for many years. Brave souls had volunteered to go kill the monster so their village could live free from the shadow of its terror. But they never returned, and soon all stopped volunteering, and the people submitted themselves to the Bronca's reign of terror. They chose to live their lives to the fullest when they could, in the hopes that it would outweigh their fear when the Bronca monster came looking for them. On one sunny day, which happened to also be the last day of the week, a boy went to his mother asking if he could go play with some friends. Though she was hesitant to say yes, the boy pleaded and pleaded until his mother relented. Be back well before sundown, my child, she reminded him. The boy nodded and waved her off, running to join his friends who lived at the other end of the village. The children were having so much fun that they quickly lost track of the time. It was only a few hours from sundown when one of the children, a girl, suggested they climb the tallest tree just beyond the edge of the night forest. My sister did it and said you can see the entire island from all the way up there, the girl said. All the children quickly said no, but the girl shook her head. You're all cowards. Now, the young boy hated nothing more in the entire galaxy than to be called a coward. I'll climb it, he cried. All the children looked to him. Another girl shook her head. You can't. It's too close to sundown. I'll be back before you know it. And with that, the boy took off, racing into the night forest. He found the tall tree quickly and immediately began his climb. He would show them all how brave he was. A coward? No way. And he climbed the tree he did, making it all the way to the top. As soon as he did, he let out a cry of triumph and stared out into the distant sea, smiling in the light of the setting sun. Then, his face dropped. The sun, it was dipping below the horizon line. Fear filled the boy's heart and started climbing down the tree. He hurried as fast as he could, the world slowly getting darker and darker around him. He made it to the forest floor and raced towards the village. He broke through the tree line, greeted with silence for all the villagers had retreated into their homes. Suddenly, a low growl echoed from within the forest behind the boy, and then came the sound of crunching leaves and of claws scraping against the trees. The Bronca Monster. Inside the boy's home, the mother huddled close to her husband, who told her, He's with another family. He's safe. He's a smart boy. He's safe. The mother nodded, but she had a bad 
feeling. The two grew quiet when they heard that familiar growl nearing their hut. They waited for it to pass by, but it didn't. Instead, the growl came from their front door. They stared at the door, waiting for the monster to leave, but the monster didn't. Instead, a claw scratched at the entrance, and then slowly, the door slid open, revealing the beast, its mouth open and bloody. It looked straight at the parents, and then took one step forward, entering the house. Their screams echoed through the village, and the villagers came to a grave realization. They were no longer safe. Their homes were no longer havens of protection. The end had finally come. So, what did you think? Why didn't the parents go looking for their kid? I don't know. And where did this monster come from? Why couldn't it enter the house and then suddenly at the end it can? Because it ate the boy and that let it enter the house. That makes no sense. It's not supposed to make sense. It's a funny, scary story. That's not a scary story. You want to hear an actual scary story? I got one for you. Once there was a young woman around your age. She was married, a housewife, and loved her life. Boring. Will you let me tell the story? Will you let me tell the story? As I was saying, the woman loved her life. Wake up, make breakfast, serve breakfast to her husband, clean the house, run errands, read, surf the news nets, make dinner, eat dinner with her husband, watch the hollow news together, go to sleep, and repeat. She loved the routine. Things could not possibly be better. And what the woman did not realize was how quickly things could change. One day, the woman was preparing her favorite recipe for dinner, choopy loaves. She had made enough for just her and her husband, so you can imagine her surprise when her husband did not come home alone. Instead, he brought a co-worker, some businessman visiting from off-world. But the woman was resourceful, so she gave both loaves to the men, then prepared a tossed green bowl for herself and joined them at the table. The three ate the men discussing business while the woman listened politely. When they finished, she cleaned the plates and all three retired to the sitting room for drinks and dessert. The woman and her husband listened as the off-worlder told them all about his travels. Oh, I almost forgot, he said, stopping mid-sentence. I brought you both a gift. The man pulled a jeweled triangular relic from his bag. He held it out to the woman, and her eyes were wide as she studied it. I found it in an ancient temple of some kind. The locals said it had the power to grant three wishes, but they said a word of caution. All wishes have a price you must be willing to pay. The woman looked at her husband, then to the off-worlder. A moment passed before the two men broke into laughter at the ridiculousness of the warning, but the woman turned her attention back to the pyramid, entranced. Let's try it, she decided. The men looked at her confused, but 
she just smiled. We'll make a small wish. Something inconsequential. Like, like better choopy loafs, her husband interrupted. The woman's mouth dropped. Sorry, darling, but your choopy loaves aren't very good. My cooking is just fine. But the husband shook his head. Did you ever take those cooking lessons I gave you for your birthday? He asked. The woman was incredulous. Her husband had really accused her of being a bad cook. Her? The one who kept their home in order? Their lives together, who made sure he had three square meals a day and he had the audacity to accuse her of being a bad cook? Well, I wish you couldn't eat anything ever again and then you'd realize how much you actually like my cooking. The husband and the off-worlder stared at the woman, who fumed. She jumped to her feet, tossing the relic into the lounge chair and stormed from the room. She went to bed without cleaning the dishes, without putting away the leftovers, without even bidding her husband good night. The next morning, though, the woman felt awful. To apologize to her husband, she woke up extra early, made his favorite breakfast, though she was a little self-conscious about it, but still she hoped he would like it. But as soon as her husband entered the kitchen, he said he wasn't hungry grabbed his data pad, and left for work. The woman was devastated, believing she had truly hurt his feelings. She would make up for it. And for the rest of the day, the woman studied recipes on the holonet, watched instructional hollows, did everything she could to make her husband happy again. That night, she prepared a great feast for him. But as soon as he walked in the door, he ignored all food on the table, said he wasn't hungry, and went to the bedroom. This cycle repeated itself for a week. The woman would make her husband's favorite breakfast, he would decline saying he wasn't hungry, and he'd go to work. Then she'd work hard on another great dinner, but her husband would come home, say he wasn't hungry, then retreat to the bedroom. The woman was so engrossed in trying to find a way to get her husband to eat her cooking again that she hardly noticed how sickly he had become. On the eighth day, the woman was especially frustrated. At dinner time, the woman waited for her husband to come home, but he never did. Suddenly, there came a knock at the door, but it wasn't the man. Instead, it was a security officer delivering the news that her husband had died in a speeder crash. He had passed out at the wheel. When was the last time he had eaten anything, ma'am? The officer asked the woman, but she was in shock. Instead, she closed the door and retreated to the sitting room. She sank into the lounge chair, her grief consuming her but shifted when she sat on something sharp. Turning, she saw the object, the triangular relic. It was then she remembered her wish, that her husband would never be able to eat again. 
weeping, the woman grabbed the relic and made a second wish. I wish that he would come back and eat whatever he wanted, anything. I'll make it for him. I'm sorry. Please bring him back. The woman broke into sobs, clutching the relic close. Time passed quickly, though she did not know how long. But it was dark when a knock came at the door. The woman was weary and stumbled to the front door. She pressed the panel to greet whoever was there. But she should have looked first. She should have asked who it was. Because if she had, maybe she'd have been able to make a third wish and wish him away. But instead, the door slid open and her second wish was granted. He ate everything he wanted. The end. He what? Be careful what you wish for. He ate her? He criffing ate her. All wishes have a cost. That was messed up, Nay. Messed up! I never want to hear that story again. Hey, telling scary stories was your idea. I take it back. Now I'm officially freaked out. I don't even want to stay to see this ghost. Too late. Look. The moons, they're lined up. Quick, quick, grab the holocam. Do you see her? Can you hear that? I don't see her, do you? No, I... <gasps> Wait. Look over there. Tab, over there. Look, quick. What in the blazes is that? Run! Not much can rattle me, I'm proud to say. But this was one of those things that did rattle me. Sure, that eerie voice calling out struck a chord. Though I'm thankful the holocam didn't capture visual evidence of this ghost the sisters saw, as that might have been the source of nightmares I didn't know I was able to have. No. It was the stories that rattled me the most. The easy and confident way each sister told their story. They had their own individual styles. Tab leaned into the fantastical to build the tension in her story. Her mannerisms bold and face expressive. Nay, on the other hand, leaned into the weight of her story. She took her time to make sure Tab processed her tale, letting it sink into her sister's heart and take root in the back of her mind. Both of these styles of storytelling are evident in Tina, Nay's passion and Tab's excitement. But above all, the three women share a genuine love for stories and how to tell them in the most compelling ways. So, what is Tina up to now, you might be wondering? I bet I can guess what you're thinking. The majority of you are convinced Tina has gone into the acting world and is on the stage or in holodramas bringing stories to life in those ways. While she did try her hand in the acting game for a time, that's not what she's doing right now. Tina is actually a lawyer, one of the best on Crastily. At first, you might be thinking, hmm. But, as you think on it for a few moments longer, you'll come to realize what I came to realize. 
Tina's storytelling talents allow her to excel in the courtroom. The way she can take the facts and weave together a picture for the jury, the way she can present an argument in a compelling form to the most important beings in that room, all this makes her a gifted lawyer. But I think back to the little Wookiee when I asked Tina where she learned to tell stories like that. I'm sure she still asked that same question, and I'm sure she still gives the same answer, even to this day. It all points back to her mother and her aunt and the gift they gave her. The galaxy is filled with great stories, not just those of the heroes and the villains throughout history, but of the everyday people, those who deserve to have their stories told in great ways. But the storyteller is the one who makes all the difference. Tina helps me understand that. It is the responsibility of great storytellers to tell all stories in ways that will touch people, move them, sometimes scare them, and, above all, inspire them to something more. It's an art, one I have been studying and practicing, one I hope to someday master as the meant women have. But until then, I'm okay with being your guide to the new corners of the galaxy, with providing the platform for other beings, other storytellers, to tell their stories. Maybe this will be my legacy. And maybe someone, somewhere, someday, will look back and point to beings of the galaxy as the place where it all began for them. Thanks for joining me, Lana Slock, your host for another episode of Beings of the Galaxy, a Beyond the Outer Rim Hollow Mag production, bringing you the stories of the everyday people who make up our galaxy far, far away. We'll see you next time.